something sexy. That's L-I-Q-U-O-R. Don't get it twisted. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Kitty Liquor. That's L-I-Q-U-O-R. Don't get it twisted. I am Kat Wonders, your host, and this is episode 44, and I'm very sure of that this time. See the confidence I said that with? I didn't even double question myself. I am back from coming at you from Canada in minus almost 30 weather. And just the other day, it was minus one. Uh, Actually, it was like plus two. So we're having some sort of strange situation here in the mountains. Uh, But the sun is out. It's beautiful. And I really appreciate when the sun is out in full force, uh, especially when I'm inside. (laughs) No, actually, this kind of weather is great for, I don't want to say snowmobiling. But typically, if you're like really, really bundled, um, it's so beautiful. The snow is really kind of fluffy and crispy and um, it just makes things easier. And but I'm not doing that today. (laughs) I just keep looking outside my window and it's so gorgeous. It's unbelievable. It's magical. Um, All right. So exciting news. I received some product from a company called Dairy Distillery. Hence the cow top. And I'm also wearing milkshake earrings because it brings all the boys to the yard. (laughs) Cheesy. Oh, also made from dairy. Cheese. All right. (laughs) Okay. So um, I actually reached out to them and said, hey, would you be interested in having your product featured on my podcast? I do a concocktail segment every episode and I like to keep my segment fresh as possible. And it's also a Canadian distillery and being Canadian myself, feeling very Canadian with the weather the way it is right now. um, I'm happy to promote this distillery. I had the joy of enjoying some of these um, spirits before the podcast because I couldn't freaking wait. (laughs) Um, And I have nothing but good things to say. And let's just get straight into it. So I'm going to show you the bottles first of all. So this is a distillery out of Ontario. I think it's Almonte, Ontario. Look at their branding. It looks like a little vintagey milk jug, uh, milk bottle, sorry. <laughs> and this is the vodka version. Now, I had no idea that you can create vodka from milk. What the, it says right on the bottle. This one, vodka produced from Canadian milk. This is, and this here is 17%. This is the cream liqueur or cream liquor. (laughs) It's the cream version, kind of like, um, you know, something you throw in your coffee or make kind of wonderful milky cocktails with, which I'm going to do today. And this is uh, just like unflavored vodka. But so I was nervous when I I was actually going to try this one. This one I was pretty confident that I would like. Um, I'll get into this, that one next, but this one here. So my sister was just up and I was like, Sela, you have to try this vodka because it is maybe the smoothest. It tastes like vodka, but it has, I said, doesn't it almost have this like creaminess to it? Because like, I would say that even if I didn't know that this was made from milk and I, I actually wouldn't even 
anticipate the vodka tasting. To me, it's, they're two separate things. I can't, I can't even wrap my mind around it. Um, I'll read to you a little bit of the process that they use to make this, but this is such a smooth, incredible vodka that I even said it, it might be my favorite <laughs> ever. Uh, it does taste really, really, really good. Like almost sippable. And who sips vodka? <laughs> I sip gin, so. <laughs> um, and then this guy, I will, okay, I know I'm so overselling this so hard and I have no reason to, this is not sponsored. They're not paying me to say this, by the way. Um, but this, <sighs> is so, is my number one. I can't, okay, I love Bailey's. I recently bought this like Canadian maple cream, which they also make, which I'm really tempted to buy, um, but I have a huge bottle of like another maple cream. Um, and then I also, Carol Ann's is also something that I've like put in coffee. Um, this is so good. This is like a milkshake, not a strawberry milkshake, in um, a cream liqueur. It's just, so good and so addicting, it's a problem. Luckily it's only 17%. I don't know what like Bailey's and everything else is, but which is still hefty, <laughs> still still a lot. You don't necessarily want 40% in your morning coffee. I mean, maybe some of you do. I gotta pace myself more, but. So anyway, very, very good. Now I'm just gonna read to you just some information about this. Cause I was like, how is this possible? <laughs> uh, and this sort of sums it up here, cream, High milk fat. So this kind of breaks down like what components of the milk go where. Uh, right here, this top part, the fatty part will go to, you know, ice creams, butters. And then the ultra filtered milk will go to like cheeses and whatever they depicted there, that square thing. And then uh, the milk permeate. I believe that's how you say it. Permeate, uh, unused milk sugar. Uh, they use for their product. Um, let me just, we married her. They use milk from 3,200 Ontario dairy farms. How many freaking dairy farms are there in Canada is what I wanna know. If there's 3,200 dairy farms in Ontario alone, wow. Okay, superior spirits crafted from pure Canadian milk. All spirits are made by fermenting sugar. At Dairy Distillery, you, we use a sugar rarely used to make spirits, milk sugar. Milk sugar or lactose is natural, is a natural healthy sugar. It was first fermented to make alcohol by the Mongols over a thousand years ago. While milk sugar produces cleaner, smoother, gluten-free spirits, it never became popular with distillers due to its high cost and production challenges. Milk from 3,500 Ontario dairy farms is sent to large processors where the cream is removed to make butter and the proteins concentrated to make unfiltered milk used by cheese and yogurt makers. When making unfiltered milk, a sugar-rich liquid called permeate, I'm sorry if I'm botching that word, <laughs> um, is made. Most milk permeate is dumped, uh, creating a strain on the environment and a disposal cost for dairy farmers. In this waste, we saw an opportunity to make world-class spirits with the potential to support hardworking local farmers and the environment. In collaboration with the University of Ottawa, we've perfected a process to convert milk permeate into an unbelievably smooth spirit. Thanks to this process, anything we don't bottle can be safely put back into the environment. So wow, now you know a little bit more about dairy distillery, what they're all about, and now we're gonna create a, uh, 
a cocktail, a concoctail. I'm not concocting it because it's a recipe that they have on their website. And by the way, they have a ton of recipes on their website. Um, and it's going to be, it's, it is called a vodka chata martini. So I just recently had a espresso martini um, for the first time. And it's the first time I've ever had like a creamy martini and I really liked it. And when I saw this recipe, I thought I'm going to try it because I think I like it. So what color should we make our little light? Um, it's going to be creamy anyway, so the light's not, I'll just leave it blue. All right, so this recipe calls for uh, vodka, one ounce, one ounce of vodka cream, half a cup of almond milk, a quarter teaspoon of vanilla, a quarter teaspoon of cinnamon, and a quarter teaspoon of fresh grated nutmeg, and three quarters of a tablespoon of raw sugar. So the directions on how to make this, it instructed to use a blender, uh, not with ice in it, but just to blend everything together. And I could see why there's a lot of like, you know, cinnamon kind of floats on top, uh, but I'm going to use my shaker because I've got pipes of steel and I could rip that thing faster than a <laughs> blender. <laughs> well, I'll try. I'm also replacing the raw sugar with monk fruit sugar. I recently found the Splenda monk fruit sugar. I'm not sure the difference between this and like regular monk fruit. And I don't think it's gonna dissolve the same way as sugar, but I'm gonna throw it in there anyway. And um, yeah, and I've also got my Almond Breeze, unsweetened vanilla. This is the shit. <laughs> um, and we're just gonna have a fun time and moo our way to a lovely cocktail. All right, so you know me, I free pour. Is this one ounce the lid? That would make sense. But that looks way too small. <laughs> so I'm gonna say no, no. Um, now you do wanna have ice in the glass. And the rest of the ice I'm gonna keep in here to mix. So I'm gonna add the one ounce of vodka. Oh, yes. One ounce and one ounce of the vodka. Probably doesn't have to be shaken, but. Mm. Okay, there's that. Then we want to add a half a cup of almond milk. This is brand new, by the way. Do you ever like open it fully and then reshake it? Cause it's sort of vacuum sealed in there. It doesn't move around. See this wrist action? Who needs a blender? Have a cup. Just call me Martha Stewart. I just know everything off by heart. Quarter teaspoon of vanilla. Now I did bring measuring utensils for this stuff. Powders, pinching powders is a little harder to gauge. This is premium artificial vanilla, 10% real. <laughs> okay. Oh shit. Well, whatever. I love vanilla. So that was more like half a teaspoon. And then we want quarter teaspoon of cinnamon, fresh grated nutmeg. Oh, this already smells so good. This is not gonna work unless I dip it, but it already has vanilla. I should have done the liquid last. Okay. We got our cinnamon in. 
now, because I got the cinnamon absorbing all the liquid from that, I can dip it in here and scoop it out. Do you wanna know what I've been having nightmares about lately? Oops, what am I even doing? How does this open? I don't wanna get sprayed by nutmeg. Okay, whatever, screw it, let's do it this way. I've been having nightmares about, it's happened twice now that I've had a nightmare about, um, that makes, oh, that makes pretty powerful. I'm just gonna not put that much in. Okay, there we go. Approximately a quarter teaspoon. Um, I've been having dr horrible dreams about my audio not recording and then having like terrible sound for my podcast. And it seems like a really minor thing to be afraid of, but it's a real thing. Audio is everything. Okay, so now we're gonna add three quarters of a tablespoon of raw sugar. This is monk fruit sugar. Three quarters of a tablespoon. Boop. So maybe this will dissolve nicely. Yeah, so it's, it's par. A tablespoon of regular sugar is a tablespoon of this. So I was like, I should probably look at the conversion on that. All right, let's give this a shake. Oh God. <laughs> the nutmeg, um, you know what? I'm just gonna actually put it back because that's just how, oh, I figured out how to open it. There we go. My contaminated nutmeg. All right, let's go. So after 15 minutes of shaking, just joking. Let's see what we got. Oh. My God. Now tell me that that doesn't look delicious. It smells so good. I wanna get every ounce, it's kind of like foamy. Oh, look at, oh, how pretty. Smells like a freaking cinnamon milkshake. Oh. oh my God. And that monk fruit sugar did definitely dissolve. Holy cow. Okay. I just made a pun and I almost didn't pick up on it. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> moo 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 I am loving this this is something that I think pretty much everybody will love young and old not too young but definitely old okay this is going to be a new dessert of mine so there is a bit of sugar in the actual cream liqueur it's one ounce I mean pfft. My, I, pour, I pour two ounces probably, but um, such a small amount of sugar. And monk fruit sugar is actually like, this is a combination of monk fruit sugar and erythritol. So if you're looking to kind of cut sugar out, but still get the flavor of sugar, it's the most real tasting sugar to me. Because I don't use sugar substitutes because they taste kind of like garbage. <laughs> and even though it's a Splenda, like I don't like Splenda either, but it's monk fruit by Splenda. So whatever that means, I don't know, do your research, but. It's just a good way to kind of cut back. And I'm on keto, so this is not, definitely not enough to kick me out though. Okay, so I love it. Um, check them out, www.vodcow.com. Um, and 
yeah, they ship. They have like a really extensive website. <laughs> they have a lot of product uh, and I'm just super impressed. So thank you very much Vodkow for sending me these spirits and uh, I will be purchasing again. Okay, my week. A few things. Um, my sister came and hung out with me for a couple of days. We did skiing, lots of cross-country skiing and I had decent weather. And then suddenly, wha-bam, like minus 30. <laughs> um, I'm exaggerating. It's, it's like minus 25, but it feels like minus 55. And we had lots of fun, sang lots of karaoke. Uh, it's funny how karaoke... So I don't know if you know this. <laughs> Have I told you that I bought a karaoke machine? Uh, I think I did like a while back. Um, I've only had it for maybe six months now. But uh, karaoke is something that people don't necessarily... They're not like really into the vibe of the idea of karaoke initially until people start singing and they're, they see like, oh, you know, I could do better than that guy or, oh, they think of a song that they'd love to sing and everybody's kind of accepting and nobody's standing in the corner like, this is so stupid. And, <laughs> and if they are, then they're kicked out of the party uh, because karaoke actually winds up turning into a really fun night. And I've had this happen before with a couple like business friends that are very serious <laughs> and then it turns out they have a wonderful voice and then sometimes you see people discovering that they can actually sing because they've done it like maybe in the car or whatever but when you can turn up the echo a little bit and hear yourself through a speaker it really is a game changer and it's kind of like cheating a little bit <laughs> because when you ramp up the the echo it just kind of mellows out your voice a little and it just makes it sound better and so anyway we stayed up really late singing karaoke and um also this didn't happen this past weekend but I chipped my tooth this one my front tooth so when I was about 10 or 11 um I went to the dentist and I had chipped my tooth and the dentist asked me oh you know would you like me to fix it but I was like 11 so I was like I don't know, like ask my mom because I knew it would cost money and we didn't have any <laughs> when I was younger. And the dentist's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll just do it. No, no charge, no charge. And so we went talk to my mom and then she approved it. And then he went, went ahead and did some, some work, which is super nice of him. I think he really liked my mom <laughs> a lot. Anyway, and uh, he fixed my tooth and f for all of these years, it's been great. But I think just now, it was just like a bit of like dental bonding or whatever. I don't even know the term. Uh, so I have to go like get it fixed. And I thought there's just a couple things about my teeth that bother me. And I, for many years, I grinded my teeth or gr grinded, <laughs> ground my teeth. Um, <laughs> just thinking, oh, I use some grinded cinnamon in my drink. Um, anyway, so I have lots of wearing like in certain parts of my mouth. And I looked into dental bonding and I was like, wow, I really might look into getting some like just a bit of cosmetic dentistry done. And I'm not looking to kind of have like chiclet teeth and like really white bright teeth. But there are just some things about my teeth that <laughs> also another thing when I grew up um, back in the day, McDonald's used to have vinegar packets. Do You remember this? And I don't know if they still do in certain parts of the world, but uh, I used to drink vinegar packs like when I was a kid eat lemons, limes. I don't know what it was. It was like I was deprived of some mineral or something that I had this craving for these sour things. And candies, like warhead candies, like crybaby gumballs, 
I remember my tongue bleeding when I was a kid because I would eat so much sour shit, mostly from the candy, never from like lemons. So I also have like kind of textured teeth. And I don't know if that makes sense to you. It might sound weird, uh, but I don't know if it's from, you know, years of enamel being destroyed <laughs> from all of the acidity. There's just a few things that I'm going to like try to figure out. So I'm kind of excited about that. I, I'm like, ah, I've never really thought too much about my teeth. I don't like when people look up to my teeth closely or if I'm like, is there something in my teeth? And I was like, I just don't really like them. And I could. So why not? You know, and it's teeth, you know, it's not like get him a tits done or something. <laughs> Can you imagine? I just come back with like huge titties. Oh my God. I'm just inspired. You know, you could add so many things to a drink like this. Like strawberries. Oh my God. Like it'd be like a strawberry milkshake or what else? Chocolate. <gasps> okay. You could replace the cinnamon and the nutmeg or keep it and add like cocoa powder. Oh my God. Oh shit. Okay. The original recipe makes two cocktails and I was like, oh, I'll just cut it in half and make one. Like I should have made a double batch. Also. I ordered my metal detector and it shipped out today. I paid extra for fast shipping um, because I have some trips coming up and I definitely want to have my metal, detec metal detector when I'm traveling. And this, okay, it's called a, it's a mine lab. So the one that I have already is a mine lab as well, which I really like. And I kind of know the functions and buttons and like what they mean. So um, it's a mine lab CTX. 3030. And I think so. Yes. And um, I am so excited. I have been like reviewing some of the newer features. Um, also, from this website, I, I ordered a new pin pointer. So if you don't know what a pin pointer is, it's basically like a little handheld rod. It's like, you know, this big and the tip of it will detect metal. So say you've dug a big hole and you've got a mound of dirt you got to go through. Sometimes you could just jam that in there, eliminate different piles and then find, I don't know, like everybody does it differently, but a brand new, really good pinpointer, waterproof. I also got um, a sand shovel, which those look kind of funky. They're like, a, they look like a great big scoop with holes in the bottom with a handle. So you can kind of go and it just makes it easier to dig in sand because I'm telling you, I'm going to be finding treasures and I have found treasures before, but I could just see it in my mind's eye <laughs> that I'm going to pay this detector off in the first day. Okay. <laughs> um, could you imagine if I found some relic and it was like being seized by the country's president? <laughs> that sounds so dumb, but, but it's actually illegal. I think in some places to metal detect and not claim what you found. So um, I've taken a metal detector to Greece uh, to Crete. And there's a lot of history there. I mean, where that's kind of dumb to say, there's a lot of history everywhere in Europe, but I thought, what if I find like a, a gold coin? And then I'm like, well, the reality is, is if I did, I'd have to really keep it secret, which would be illegal. So I don't recommend that. Or like you have to hand it over to the government. So I'm like, that's no fun. <laughs> so I didn't find anything. <laughs> no, I actually did it. I did find a gold Michael Kors bracelet though, on top of where I wasn't even detecting. There's this kind of really neat sort of walking path that winds up going out towards the ocean and through this natural sort of um, tunnel through the rock. And it was laying there right on the trail. 
and I wasn't even detected. I just found a gold bracelet and I was like, oh my God, gold. So I did find gold, but not in the ground. Oh yeah, and I also did something really stupid. <laughs> I did something so dumb and I never recommend it and don't ever do this, but. So because I am basically snow white, I have, I'm almost translucent because I'm so white right now. And I'm not somebody who can't tan, like I can tan, but I'm about to go on vacation and I need to, I always do like a little bit of a base tan in a tanning bed. I know, shame, shame, double shame on me because I don't want to get scorched the first day and it's damn near impossible to keep the sunscreen on all day and not get a little bit of whatever. So I'm like, I just go beforehand like five, six times maybe before my trip just to get a bit of a base so that I kind of skip a few steps ahead just straight to tanning and not not, not the burnt process first, right? So I go, I know you're never supposed to go two days in a row. So I went the first time for five minutes and um, five minutes in a vertical bed is quite a bit of time, not horizontal beds, vertical bed. And as far as I knew, the, the bulbs were pretty new. So I was like, okay, even five minutes was pushing it. And I didn't wind up feeling anything, seeing anything. And I thought, well, maybe the bulbs sort of like run out. So I went the next day for seven minutes. I'm telling you, I had signs in there that I was gonna burn. I felt like kind of like, I felt it on my back, but I just committed and I was like, well, it's seven minutes, like blah, whatever. So I get out and I'm getting dressed and I can already kind of feel like I have like something going on, like a bit of burn happening. So then I'm like, whatever. I get home, two, three hours later, I'm literally having a panic attack <laughs> because I'm like pull my pants down to pee and the scraping of my pants on my skin, it's like already feeling up. And I thought, okay, well maybe because I'm so white, like this is gonna, I was trying to convince myself that I didn't screw up. I really did. And I literally turned cherry tomato red for like the last, I don't know, four days. So the whole time my sister was here, I couldn't even join her in the hot tub because I was like, I can't, <laughs> my skin is gonna fall off if I do that. <laughs> Showering, having cold showers, so dumb. And I'm like, anyway, disclaimer, don't use tanning beds. Okay, I'm not promoting them whatsoever. This is just a personal decision. Um, and I'm in no position to encourage anybody to do what I do, including make cocktails, <laughs> drink midday, burn yourself in tanning beds, not fun. Uh, but it was like lesson learned. Um, two minutes can make a big difference. So always, if you are going to go into a tanning bed, just go a little less than you think you should go. All right, I wanna know how comfortable are you with nudity? Whether you're naked or somebody around you is naked. So there's many instances where nudity will become a factor. On vacation, Okay, if you're on a public beach somewhere, toplessness is happening. You go to Brazil, you go even to Germany. I mean, definitely Germany because every beach, nude beach I've ever been on, they're literally all Germans. <laughs> but in Germany as well, it's kind of normal to be topless. I know in Western society, so like the US, Canada, we're super reserved. Like even a thong bikini bottom is offensive. It's funny because I, being raised in Canada, born and raised, um, I have, you know, my mom is Dutch and uh, my dad is English, Irish. 
French. <laughs> anyway, and um, but, you know, Dutch people like the Germans are also, they're just ripping around topless too. And I'll never forget a story. I'll just kind of like veer off and try to get back on track in a sec, but this is a funny story. So um, it, just outside of Lethbridge, there's a, um, a lake called Park Lake. I think that's the one. Yeah. Uh, and my mom was there with my brother and my cousin and <laughs> they were just setting up and just you know getting ready for a nice day at the beach and there were these two girls playing frisbee in the water but then it wasn't long before my mom realized oh they're topless girls like they're two young girls playing and so she listened a bit lo longer and heard them speaking dutch so so in holland this was like normal and i, I think they were probably you know 16 17 you know they weren't like little little and uh and so she was like oh well would you look at that my little brother my cousin who's a boy too was like oh kind of all shy and red in the face and uh but you know whatever it is what it is and you just take it for what it is and just continue on your way uh so then because it's illegal I believe it's illegal. Um, in fact, you know what? I don't, don't quote me on that because I don't think it is everywhere in Canada. Um, there are definitely some places you can wear, be topless. But I think in Alberta, at a public beach, you can't be topless. So they'll actually, I, I don't think it'll go as far as arresting. But there was a kid that was working there, like a, a teenage boy that was working at the lake at the time um, and had to go and tell the girls to put their tops on um, but it was kind of probably a windy day and he had to get quite close to them <laughs> to tell them to put their top on and uh, my mom was like oh it was so funny like just watching this kid go up to these beautiful dutch girls with no tops on to tell them to put their tops back on when, <laughs> when he's just like thinking what is my life like why why am i telling them to put their tops on like you know you could you know where i'm getting at but so that was just a funny story uh, that I always think about. I could like see it in my mind's eye. But um, anyway, so being topless on a beach or being around nudity, you know, because we're so, and where we're from, where I'm from, maybe where you're from, it's like so, you know, you don't show your body. In. Hmm, I think I might have a package coming. Anyway, so uh, for me, I for whatever reason, even though I was raised very conservative, it could just be the Dutch blood. Like it could just be instinctual to not wear clothes in the hot summer sun near water and sand. I wasn't always like this. I wasn't like the one nude child running around. That was not who I was. But I think I got to the point where I had seen enough naked people on the beach, even in Mexico. I traveled there one time when I was 11 or 12 and there were people nude no I shouldn't say totally nude but like topless women and and I thought that's so cool like I wasn't like oh my god titties ew you know I was like wow she could just get out like feel good and show her titties and not give a shit that's kind of what I wanted to live my life and I think I remember my mom like sunbathing on the deck and like you know she'd undo her top but she'd be laying face down like she wasn't just flying around everywhere but and same with you know other people in my family so I don't know it was just I've never been offended by nudity or like I've been more curious like if there's a pair of titties out on the beach I'm looking at them 
I want to see the shape, the size, what color are the nipples. I want to know everything. <laughs> and so that's why when I'm naked on the beach, I don't mind if people take a stare. They're curious too. And I mean, I think um, people get less curious in cultures where nudity is just more normal. <laughs> For me, I'm like, hmm. Oh, look at them. <laughs> anyway, so what's the point of my question? How comfortable are you with nudity? Can you openly go to a nude, like a, a fully nude beach? Would you be really weirded out? Or would you just embrace what was going on? Because sometimes I do feel a bit, a bit of pressure and not that I've ever had to be pressured to take my clothes off. <laughs> but um, if you're in, at a nude beach or at a nude resort and you're not nude, people look at you funny. And it's happened to me where we were touring, like I was with somebody that we were, we were gonna stay at an actual nudist resort in Crete. And I don't know how many of these there are, but you could probably look it up and find out which one it was. So we showed up, they're called naturalist resorts. And so I was like, let's check this place out because the full resort is nude. You can go eat your dinner nude. You can play tennis nude. And I tell you what, we pulled up, we walked into this resort. They warned us, like, just in case you didn't know, this is a naturalist resort or naturist, res naturist resort. And um, and we're like, we know, that's why we're here. <laughs> and she gave us a tour and it was very expensive to stay there. And that's the only reason why we didn't, really. Um, but we were, we got the little tour and we were the only ones with no clothes on. I think the staff has to wear clothes. If the staff was naked too, that would be wild. But uh, all I remember seeing were really super tanned older people, which is cool. I'm gonna be a super tanned older person too, hopefully naked on a beach somewhere. But uh, they were all like socializing. I'm pretty sure that 90% of them were Germans. <laughs> and, um, but then, then we like went into the dining hall um, and they're all just naked, eating dinner, just doing everything naked. So it's, it, it was a bit of an extremist thing. Like it wasn't just being nude on the beach because being in the sun, nude, you know, um, on the beach, this is natural to me. But going in, it's dinner time, 6 p.m., dark outside or whatever, 8 p.m. And you go for dinner naked. That is the part that I'm like, then it's more, it's almost like entering fetish realm, right? And I get it. There are people that just want to be free. They don't want to be restricted. They're paying to stay at this resort. They want to show their shit off. I've seen some really big wieners <laughs> at some of these resorts. Um, I've seen some really big wieners on random beaches, like nude beaches, and I get it. You want to show off your shit. And that's the only place you can you can do it. Well, besides, <laughs> before OnlyFans came around. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, it's it's all walks of life. Like I've been to nude beaches where there are families that are nude. You know, young daughter, young boy, parents, like they're just living their best life. That's one thing. Then there are people that are like having sex around the corner. And then there are people just there like me where I'm just observing, 
barely staying modest. You know, I'm not doing like yoga poses. <laughs> I've seen that too. <laughs> Where you're just like sunning your peach or something. Um, anyway, I just think it's fascinating. And I, I've had this conversation many times with people. Uh, and almost letting people know that I travel with sometimes too. That I will just be naked sometimes. It's just going to happen. But it'll always involve sunshine and warm weather. And it's not just going to be like, hey, I'm just coming to the pantry to grab some chips and just have nothing on, depending on who I'm with, right? But anyway, enough about nudity. <laughs> I am running long here. Uh, <laughs> speaking of pointers, I'm running a little long here. Um, anyway, you know what? I think this kind of makes me this, this vodka. It's bringing out the naughty in me a little bit. <sighs> okay, I'm going to whip out some tunes here. Uh, groove tunes. So, okay, I've had a bunch of suggestions as to what to call my music segment. Because I've got kitty twisters, which are jokes. Cat facts, which are interesting facts. Maybe you didn't know. And then I'm going to be starting to do... a uh, starting. I'm doing a, a music segment in each of my podcasts, if I remember and I have time. And one of them is like meowsic which is cute, but I kind of like groove tunes. It doesn't always have to have like cat in it, does it? <laughs> I mean, I should keep with the theme maybe, but groove tunes, my meowsic segment. There you go. <laughs> All right, I am on Epidemic Sound and let's see. I remember listening to a couple of them, but let's see. I just wanna leave it all behind 
Wow, we played the whole song. So that was definitely less um, <clears throat> funky retro, more sort of funky soul. <sighs> that was uh, Goodbye So Long by Spring Gang and Mia Furman. Love her voice. Now it's time for a segment that I like to call Cat Facts. And hopefully I've finished that little segment intro uh, and sent it to my editor. If not, it's on the way. I am working on it, so we will see. Uh, okay, so Cat Facts is a segment where I like to read interesting facts that I find online. Are they true? Are they real? Are they recent? <laughs> I don't know. I just find them and read them to you. Do your own research if you are really curious. I try to get this information from like legitimate websites, not just randomly somewhere in like the deep web or something. Uh, these happen to be facts related to alcohol. Are you ready? <laughs> Actually, some of these are pretty interesting. Uh, the first one, gin and tonics glow in the dark. Here's a great trick you can try at your next house party. Grab a UV light, pour a few gin and tonics for your friends or your lovers. And turn off all the lights except for the UV lamp. Surprise! Those drinks will literally glow in the dark. Why? Because tonic water contains qu quinine? Qu quinine? Quinine. Q-U-I-N-I-N-E. I'm sticking with quinine. Which absorbs ultraviolet light and re-emits it as visible light. This makes it glow while... The other components remain dark. Uh, bonus tip, this trick will work with any drink containing tonic water, so feel free to use vodka or another favorite liqueur instead, or liquor instead. Vodka is what I recommend. <laughs> Milkshakes originally contained alcohol. Your favorite treat as a kid would have given you quite the buzz if you consumed it in 1885. Far from the chocolatey concoction we know today, the original milkshake more closely resembled eggnog. It was a rich, frothy mixture of whiskey, eggs, and milk, or cream. If a customer enjoyed his drink, shake hands with the bartender, hence milk and shake. It wasn't until the early 1900s that milkshakes based on ice cream and malted milk powder became the norm. Malted milk powder, weird. Okay, this is crazy. The strongest beer in the world is blank percent alcohol. What percent of alcohol? Like, just ask yourself this, just take a wild guess. I'll give you a second. It is 67.5% alcohol. Okay, now what the frick is that about? Step aside, Bacardi 151. You don't need to reach for the hard stuff to get a good buzz. All you need to do is visit Scotland and order a bottle of super potent snake venom beer. Brewmeister's first version of the beer was 65% alcohol, and some people complained it wasn't strong enough. Only in Scotland! <laughs> and I can say that because I have heritage from Scotland. In Scotland, my heritage is part Scottish. Uh, they released a new version with 67.5% alcohol, which seemed to satisfy the diehards who really wanted to taste the alcohol. Oh, what about inhale it? Just go like this, and then you're drunk. <laughs> it's so strong, it actually comes with a yellow health warning on the label. Uh, that makes sense. Fructose speeds up alcohol metabolism by 80%. 
So there's a lot of myths about what to eat or drink to help your body eliminate alcohol faster. The truth is that your body can only eliminate certain amounts of alcohol every hour, regardless of anything you eat or drink. Interestingly, though, researchers found that large amounts of fructose can significantly speed up the rate of which your body processes alcohol. Uh, one study showed an impressive increase of 80%. So fructose is sugar from fruit. Uh, the catch is it takes a lot of fructose to produce this reaction, about 100 grams. So unless you feel like eating seven or eight apples when you're hungover, you'd, better, you'd be better off seeking a different hangover cure. Okay, but your hangover, your alcohol, like you're just damaged. You're not drunk. So like if you drink too much, don't they have those like fructose pills? Or is that, oh, that's dextrose. Never mind. Fructose. If they have like a fructose pill, you just like pop. I mean, it tastes good, so maybe just chewable. Interesting. Kids in the UK can legally drink at five years old. <laughs> so when I read this, I was like, what the frick? No, you won't see any five-year-olds sitting at a bar drinking a pint in the UK. Now, the legal age for drinking in public is 18 years old. However, when it comes to the home, British laws are quite lax. Parents can le legally give their children alcohol at home if they're between the ages of five and 17. Of course, there are plenty of health risks associated with young people consuming alcohol, and we hope that any parents who allow their kids to drink keep a close eye on them. So the joke about like feeding little Timmy um, tequila to help him sleep, <laughs> I can imagine that some of that goes on where it's like, oh, Susie. She won't stop crying with her toothache. Here, little Susie, have some of this. And then she's like, asleep. Uh, interesting. Okay, so uh, have you ever wondered how many grapes does it take to make one bottle of wine? Like how many grapes? Because it's really hard to wrap your mind around the process and like the volume needed. And anyway, you get my catch my drift, but approximately 600 grapes to make one bottle of wine. The next time you sip your favorite vintage, take a moment to reflect on the individual grapes that went into that bottle. Winemakers will tell you that it takes anywhere from 600 to 800 grapes to produce a single bottle of wine. This works out to three to 10 bunches, depending on the size and type of grape. Three to 10 bunches? I guess, how many, you know when you buy a bag of grapes at the grocery store, how many grapes are on that? I mean, it depends on the size, of course, but like an average size grape. Is there like 50 grapes? I would think it would be less, but anyway. Last fact. Oklahoma liquor store hours. <laughs> Oklahoma has some of the uh, some interesting legislation when it comes to selling liquor, and they're still in the lawmaking process. At present, grocery stores can sell beer and wine every day of the week, including Sundays. The weird part? Liquor stores are still required to be closed on Sundays. Go figure that one out. Doesn't really make sense to me either, but hey, what do I know? This is where like a little, like a little straw would be nice. Come on, man. I'm gonna have nutmeg all over my top lip. <laughs> Just have like a nutmeg mustache. So I have a universal problem. And I don't know if anybody else suffers from this, but I cannot wear lower lash mascara. For whatever reason, maybe it's because of the amount that I smile and laugh in a day. <laughs> My bottom lashes touch 
the top part of my cheek here. I do have high cheekbones, so I also can't wear certain types of sunglasses, which is also annoying. But I'm wondering if it like pushes my cheeks up and then my bottom lashes rub. I know that's what's happening. Cause like, if I look down, I can feel my bottom lashes like touching here. And that's, I get like two spots on both eyes, no matter what kind of mascara that I wear. Waterproof, ultimately waterproof. I've tried coloring my bottom lashes with like waterproof eyeliner to see if that makes a difference. It doesn't. So if any of you have any suggestions, I know the majority of you are not female, <laughs> but if those of you that are, please leave me a comment as to what I should do, any techniques. I've looked it up before. I've tried to do everything under the sun because I love the look. I, I did it today because the two hours that I used to film wind up, you know, it's pretty good up until the two hour mark. <sighs> um, okay. What was the most terrifying situation that you have ever been in? Now this could get heavy real quick. And I luckily had never had any really terrifying situations until pro it was probably eight years, seven or eight years ago. I was in Europe in Germany and traveling extremely fast in a BMW. Um, I was not driving, but the person I was with was very skilled, did a great job. And um, we were traveling on the Autobahn. There are parts of the Autobahn where there is a speed limit, but the majority of it, I shouldn't even say that. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Majority, majority. <laughs> there are parts where there is no speed limit. So you can just go as fast as you want, pretty much as fast as your car will go. Um, but there may even be limitations that, that, like when it comes to that, but that's as far, as far as I understand, that's how it works. Uh, so we were traveling from A to B on a section of the Autobahn where there's no speed limit and ripping 250 kilometers an hour, really smooth ride. Like I was kind of nervous because speed limits here in Canada, I don't think there's one above 120, I think 120 or maybe 130 in certain parts, but where I'm from 90, hundred kilometers an hour. So this is like one and a half times as fast. <laughs> two and a half times, I don't know. <laughs> but 100, 100, going from like an average of 100, what you're used to, I mean, I will go a little faster sometimes, but uh, 250 kilometers an hour. So we're ripping and everybody else is too. And there's this BM, this old BMW that comes uh, up beside us. And, you know, it's kind of a longer journey. So we're taking, you know, taking our time. He's passing us, we're passing him. We're kind of like, whatever. And I see that his car is like full of shit. It's like an older BMW and his suspension is a little like soft. So he, you know, he's kind of like hopping around. And, and the person I was with was like, this guy is going to kill himself. He literally said that. And lo and behold, he passed us one more time. And the Autobahn was going from four lanes into two. So it was basically like a merge situation. There was like an overpass that would come on. And, and I think, of course, the speed limit at that time had changed. This guy didn't really notice because we had slowed down and he was ahead of us at this point then by, you know, a quarter of a kilometer. We could still see him. So he slows down. I could see his brake lights come on. But then when I see his brake lights come on, I see... Um, some sort of like vehicle kind of pull ahead of him. And he went and tried to swerve around him, but which threw him into, at this point, this is only like a hundred yards ahead of us. He throws him into this sort of speed wobble and he goes like, you know, and then he gets out of control and like goes off the side of the highway. And there's nothing but dust and debris everywhere. 
And I'm thinking to myself, this guy was going like 250 kilometers an hour. He might've slowed down to 220, but this is like airplane speed. Like this would, it's how fast you have to be to lift off the ground in an airplane. Uh, and <laughs> so right away, I mean, fight or flight kicks in, you don't even realize what happened. But because we were one of the first people to see this accident happen, we pull over, um, which was the right thing to do for everyone because there was so much dust and debris on the road that, um, you know, to drive through that was just like stupid. So everybody slowed down. And uh, we pulled over, another two cars pulled over. And in your rental cars in Germany, maybe it's the same everywhere in Europe, I don't know. Um, there's a protocol, you put a safety vest on, which has like reflective tape on it. So other vehicles can see you, especially at nighttime. There are a couple triangles that you have to put up behind your vehicle. Um, just standard kind of safety precaution. So while I'm doing that, the person that was driving starts running towards this vehicle that is now wrapped in this wire fence in a farmer's field. So I'm thinking that I'm literally going to find pieces of this guy all over the place because I could see his car. I'm in my socks, by the way. Not a good idea when you're running through car crash debris because there's glass and all sorts of shit. So I'm thinking I'm going to see this, see an arm here, a leg there, because I see the car is basically just a crumpled up piece of tinfoil, which the wheels are gone. Everything's gone. <laughs> so, and then I see a guy in the farmer's field on his cell phone. So clearly I was thinking it was, you know, a farmer or whatever had seen the accident calling the police. Um, as I get closer, I see that there's nobody in the car. I didn't expect to see anybody in the car. Looking all around the car, under the car, on the road, wherever I can't see the guy that was driving. Then I'm like, God, like, is, did he like, is he in the engine compartment? Like, you know, shit, because that's so fast. Like that is so fast. You just don't stay in one piece, right? I understand that I have to be involved in the situation. I saw what happened. I'm a witness. We're here. Sometimes you're thrown into these situations. You don't want to be there. But turns out the guy in the field on a cell phone was the guy that was driving the car. He had been ejected um, and somehow was in total, totally fine shape. Um, his hand was bleeding, he had cut his knuckle um, and then he had like a minor cut on his head here, like not even a cut, like a scrape. And he was okay. Now, I don't know how many times anybody can like tell this kind of story after witnessing a high-speed crash like that especially because his vehicle was full of shit. Sometimes a pen on the dash of your car, if you hit somebody at the right speed or somebody hits you, it goes right through your head. So I was so relieved. Like I just had this weight lifted. Like I just kind of felt really all cramped up and really just terrified to see a dead body or somebody who's been mangled. And there he was in the field, shaken up, calling his family who he was going to see. So a couple things about the story. Now, when I went to look in his vehicle, this is at this point we had talked to him. He actually spoke pretty good English. He had just come from his grandmother's house who had just passed away. He was the only one in his family that went to go gather things that wanted to keep heirlooms from his grandmother. So that was what was in his car. Family heirlooms, you know, from his grandmother's house. 
And so I right away was like, oh my God, wow. Well, clearly, you know, she saved your life. On, upon further inspection, I look in the car. Every part of that car is like crunched and crumbled except for the driver's compartment. So I guess BMWs know how to build cars right because it was like a little capsule where he was sitting. And the hood of the vehicle, like the front hood that pops up, had broken off and come through the windshield. And there was like a spire right here. So say I'm driving like this, the spire of hood was like right here. But the crazy thing was, is that his grandmother's like silk fake flowers were wrapped around the spire. That's the first time I've been able to tell that story without like weeping. <laughs> oh my God. I can't tell you, you know, if you don't believe in miracles and this kind of thing, it takes an experience like that to really be like, wow, it was worth documenting. Every piece of it, you know, we didn't have a dash cam. Um, and it would just would have been a really incredible story. It, it was an incredible story. It just would have been really awesome to have caught that all in film and like talk to the guy after. And then when he was in the ambulance, cause he was okay. And, but sometimes people can be in shock and die at later on, you know, they just, they feel that, you know, they might look okay and still be able to move around. And then they just, die, you know, there's internal bleeding and whatever, but he was in the ambulance, they were checking him out. And then he kept calling us in to like, thank us. And I was like, we didn't do anything. Like I felt kind of guilty because we were like going just as fast as this guy, but he just didn't slow down. Like he could have been us, you know, if we didn't notice that there was a, whatever was going on. And, um, and wow, that was, it went from like terrifying to just like, oh, wow. Anyway, <laughs> I might've shared that story with you before. I can't remember, but that was the most terrifying, like I said, I'm relieving situation all at the same time. Um, last but not least, I'm going to dive into Kitty Twisters because everybody needs to laugh, especially after that story. <laughs> uh, these, okay, I kind of copped out a little bit because these are jokes uh, that I haven't pre-read. So I'm just going to roll with it. And then if you laugh, you laugh. If you don't, oh, that's right. These are kind of offensive pickup lines. <laughs> Is your name Winter? Because you'll be coming soon. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Let's play Carpenter. First we'll get hammered and then I'll nail you. <laughs> so dumb. Um, oh, these are so stupid. Are you an archaeologist? Because I've got a bone for you to examine. <laughs> these are punchable pickup lines. Just so you guys know. If you get slapped or punched, by a chick after reading these and as, or maybe, well, hopefully not if you're a girl trying to pick up a guy. Actually, this is, this is a good idea to read really, uh, like to use really cheesy pickup lines for guys. If you're trying to pick up a guy, except for the bone one. <laughs> I'm not usually into hunting, but I'd love to catch you and mount you all over my house. <laughs> this is good. I'm no weatherman, but you can expect more than a few inches tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it says in brackets, use index finger to call someone over and then say, I made you come with one finger. Imagine what I could do with my whole hand. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you must be a doctor. You just cured my erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Slappable. 
<laughs> Do you want to come to my time machine? We stopped somewhere between 68 and 70. <laughs> I'll be Burger King and you be McDonald's. I'll have it my way and you'll be loving it. <laughs> ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Oh my god, imagine I got like a copyright strike for that. Well, that concludes Cat Facts. Maybe my... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kitty Twisters. <laughs> Whoa. Um, that concludes Kitty Twisters. I hope that one of those jokes made you laugh. Some of them are pretty cute. Um, if you're wondering, this top, by the way, is from Dolls Kill. I got it actually for Halloween, like my Halloween outfits. I have an affinity for cow print, but I actually have a really nice cow print bikini that this would be really nice as like a cover up. Anyway, you guys, you made it to the end of the podcast. If you did, give this video a like to show your support and subscribe if you're not already subscribed. If you're listening to this podcast, there is a video version on YouTube. Uh, you will find the recipe for the vodka chata martini um, and all the information to do with vodka and dairy distillery. Uh, thank you again so much for sending your spirits, uh, raising my spirits. <laughs> Don't forget that I have a free OnlyFans and a Patreon account that will all be down below in the description box as well uh, in my Linktree link. So click one link to see all your different options and then go from there. Thank you all so much for tuning in uh, to my podcast. <laughs> I, was gonna, I don't remember what I was going to say. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave comments down below. Also email me at kittylickerpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, jokes, um, suggestions. Uh, I said questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And talk to me there. Uh, and until my next podcast, I hope you tune in to whatever try-on I've got coming up. I've got a bikini try-on coming up and... Or maybe it's already out. I don't know. Uh, but you don't want to miss the content. So make sure that you subscribe. Okay. Thank you so much. And I will see you in my next video. Bye.